everybody to some degree is selling something. Sales affords you flexibility, both financially and from the perspective of a career path. It gives you the flexibility to control your destiny like no other career. The opportunity to solve problems for a living effectively can be incredibly rewarding and stimulating. It's so essential to gain experience in because it builds critical soft skills, such as the ability to present, speak with confidence, formulate ideas or thought around value. No matter where you are, those skills are incredibly invaluable. That's Parker Ashley, a 30-year-old who is on a fast track to incredible success. Parker's path in life was leading him towards medical school, but he ultimately found he had a passion and skill set for sales. Quickly working his way up through methodical preparation, dedicated effort, and grit, Parker has now become a VP at a company valued at over a billion dollars. In this conversation, he shares many of the characteristics and habits necessary for success in sales and in life. If you'd like to accelerate your pace of advancement and growth in your career, you're in the right place, and I know you'll enjoy hearing from Parker Ashley. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. I'm excited about my guest today. I have Parker Ashley with me. Parker sold Cutco in the summer of 2008 in the Walnut Creek, California office with the legendary Carl Gedris. And he went to University of Southern California, graduated with a, a degree in human biology with an emphasis in applied physiology and went to work after that point and is now highly successful as the VP of Americas for Dark Trace, which is the world leader in cyber AI defense technology. Parker is an expert in sales and highly influential. He's got a lot of great value to share. Parker, Ashley, welcome to the podcast and thank you. Yeah, Dan, thank you for having me. It is uh, honestly an honor and a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate having you here. I'm excited to hear the lessons and insights that you have to share with our audience. Let's take it back to 2008 and just want you tell us about how you got started with Cutco. Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, it was it was a while ago. It's tough to remember, but I do distinctly remember seeing uh, a flyer or or some sort of similar ad in my hometown of, of Walnut Creek, California, 
I was actually working a job at the local bakery at the time. And I ended up gaining a few pounds from all the cream cheese brownies and the broken cookies <laughs> and all the breads. And and uh, so I, I kind of felt like maybe this is not a place I need to be. And, and also, I was very much attracted to the, the kind of work your own hours side of the job. And so I answered that call. I figured I could keep my job at the bakery, keep all my cream cheese brownies and uh, earn some extra cash on the side. And uh, for me, I'm big into modifying cars. So that extra money meant a louder exhaust. And it was... It was a no-brainer. I showed up at the office. <laughs> nice. And um, so you went in the Walnut Creek office. You uh, worked with Carl Gedris. Um, what are some of the things you remember about your summer experience? A lot. I'll be honest. Uh, it was one of the more transformative few months in my younger years that I remember. I, I vividly remember the interview and how intensely... I focused on keeping eye contact, giving a firm handshake, you know, figuring out how to tie a tie, so on and so forth. And I more so even remember the training uh, once I actually accepted the job and was offered and how well and uh, structured the training was and, uh, you know, how informative it was. And uh, some of the other lessons are, for example, like the initial nervousness and embarrassment. Uh, my first few sales calls that were, were non family and friends and going to door to door and pitching and, and getting out of my comfort zone. But you know, doing that created some unbelievable and invaluable confidence in my own abilities, my skills, my, my uh, confidence in speaking and pitching. And uh, it's something that I think I've, uh, I'll take with me forever. And it really set the foundation for my career today. I, I also do remember the first order form for a signature set. I don't think I'm ever going to forget that one. And yeah, it was an absolutely invaluable uh, experience for me. That's awesome. But we, we all definitely remember that first big set sale uh, that we had. I, I can even still remember it back uh, a lot longer into the past than when you started. I love, Parker, what you said about confidence creation that came through yep. what you were doing that summer. I feel like there's different places that confidence comes from. Some people have more of it at the outset of their Cutco experience than others. But for a lot of people, confidence grows through when you have success experiences, when you do something and it, it works and you do well. And yep. in Cutco, reps get a chance to have lots of little success experiences, lots of little wins, whether it's calling somebody and they make an appointment with you, or of course, making a sale, right? Any sale, yep. right, is a small confidence uh, building experience. And people have so many of those over a short period of time that there literally is a transformation in their persona, in their confidence that they have over the course of that summer that is, it really is recognizable from you know people who know them or from their manager to see the difference from a rep from the beginning of summer to the end of the summer. Oh, 100%. And I still believe that firmly to this day. I mean, you could see a momentum in a, in a new rep who gets their first win and then compounds in the second win and over and over. And, and I think it's a lot is to be said about... Well, I'll actually go back to a, a book that I, I absolutely love. It's called The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. I'm not sure if you're mm -hmm. familiar with it. It's about creating yep. successful habits and, and applying those. I think that applies across the board, not just to the habits you create, but as you mentioned, the successes you have. And, uh, you know, that confidence can do a lot. I mean, I, I, candidly, I remember uh, there was a, an appointment I had where I, I'd actually uh, cut myself a little bit. Uh, I was newer in the role, but fortunately, I had had so many wins and successes and failures, I didn't miss a beat. I kept on the pitch. I was able to confidently kind of talk my way uh, through it and around it. And I still ended up making the sale. And I don't think. I would have had that ability without those uh, that momentum and, and those opportunities to to see myself win in that way. Yeah, exactly. 
no matter what we do, we're always going to have adversities or things that come up that don't go the way we want them to go. And that's also something that I think that, you know, as Cutco reps, uh, people get to practice dealing with those small things and, and, uh, and overcoming them and, you know, moving forward uh, with confidence and positive expectations. So good stuff. It's cool. How about uh, tell us, Parker, about your path after college uh, before you got to Dark Trace? Yeah, quite an unorthodox route. You know, I, I was always very mission driven. Uh, and I actually wanted to be a doctor since I was probably 16. I was hell bent on that mission after college. I applied and I took the MCAT. Uh, I interviewed for medical schools. I was actually accepted in a few schools and then, you know, kind of decided that the industry wasn't really what I had been intentioned or what I thought it would be. So I really liked tech. I really liked that environment. I didn't have the coding skills or desire to take that route, but I did know I was very good at one thing, and that was sales. And uh, so that was my entry point to technology. And uh, I haven't looked back since, to be honest. I think what you just said describes the experience that a lot of people have after working in Vector is that they had a path in mind in their life and they realized like, you know, I'm, I'm good at this. And I could do well here. I could do well in sales. I, I, I have a the sales has obviously an, almost an unlimited opportunity for most people. Um, yeah, and uh, it's cool to see that you have had uh, such great success. What has been like the transformative moment in your sales career? I don't think that there's been a single one. To be honest, I, I do think that realizing early on in the Cutco days that I could trade dollars for value rather than dollars for time was a big mental shift for me, to be honest. But I think just the many successes and failures that I've had in a very short order of time by, by that exposure, by getting those wins and piling those up, I think yeah, I've been fortunate to learn from many of them. There's not been a single one and then they've kind of shaped my career. I, that said, other than the, the value for money bit, I do think that the first time I ever held a five-figure check in my career, and I and I had it in my hands, I looked at it. I, I mean, it was unbelievably eye-opening to me. It was mind-blowing to see that much money at one page at, at the time. And little did I know that you know I was still on the bottom floor of what was possible uh, in a career where where you can kind of control your uh, your income based on the effort you put in. Yeah, that's cool to hear. What do you feel are the personal characteristics that you have brought to the table that have enabled you to have had such great success and advancement in your sales career? Uh, it's a good question. I think at the base level, my, I'm a really intensely curious person. So I love just digging down, asking tons of questions, seeking knowledge, learning. Um, I think that alone has allowed me to constantly stay on top of my game and, and just you know, never be satisfied with the answers I know at that moment. And I think that's helped me in tech specifically, where I'm just naturally inclined to understand how things work to the point where I can easily explain it. And little did I know how valuable that would be in a sales profession. But I think it stemmed from, you know, when I was a kid, I was taking stuff apart, putting it back together. And I don't know, maybe I should have been an engineer. But I think that curiosity has helped me a lot. And then I think the second side to that is, is grit. I always tout that grit has really helped me see things through and, and push through to success. And I think sales, especially when you're in like a hyper growth startup environment or you're going door to door and, and you're, you're, you're by yourself, it requires some serious long-term mental fortitude. If you don't have the grit to keep moving forward, even after you've taken a few haymakers to the face, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to succeed. So I think those two skills, if, if you get those right, you're, you're well ahead of the game. 
where do you feel your grit came from? <laughs> I like to color it as grit. It's probably just stubbornness. Once I, I actually am a relatively indecisive person, believe it or not, but I do have the quality that whenever I make my mind, that's it. That's what I'm doing. That period. Even, even the med school, back to the med school days, like I decided that was my, what I was going to do until the very moment where I had to decide if I wanted to take out a quarter million dollar loan. Um, <laughs> uh, I do think it, it came a lot from my father. He's uh, a very successful news anchor in the Bay Area. And he's been, uh, to this day, I think he's the longest running news anchor at that station in Bay Area history. Is uh, your father Dan? He is Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, of course I've seen him on TV. That's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and so I think just he's been just sticking through that career for for years and is really the last of kind of the breed of uh this is my path and and this is where I, what I'm going to do and, and sticking it through despite the changes in the industry and I, I think uh, I learned a lot from watching him over the years. Yeah. Is he doing newscasts like from his house now? <laughs> Has he <laughs> been doing that? Have- He's well, like me, he's stubborn. So uh, he he's one of the few that's actually going into the studio. Oh, he so goes in every time. It's just I, him. It's a little weird, but I can never tell if they're in the stu- if they're in their studio, if they're in their house with a back virtual background. You know, like it's it's hard to tell. So yeah, they they do a good job. I mean, he's he's by himself in the studio. Most of the other anchors, I think, have have uh, opted to work from home. But he yeah he loves going in. I think again he's just stubborn that way. Once he sets his habits in motion, that's it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. That's that's interesting. Um, <laughs> so grit obviously is a key factor for success, uh, particularly in, in sales. I love what you said about curiosity because for anybody in sales, having a genuine curiosity leads to some really good outcomes. One of the things I think it leads to is greater understanding of. Yes other people. Yes. And that's an important trait, not just in sales, but in, in life in general. It's important in relationships. It's important in influencing other people, you know, whether directly in sales or not. And so that genuine curiosity leads to that. Also, I feel like being a curious person helps lead people to truth as well, yeah. which I think is an important trait in life. You know, if you're not curious, it, it's easy to sort of be stuck in a certain way of thinking and we all sort of adopt a lot of beliefs that one of my uh, old mentors would say started out, uh, our beliefs start out like cobwebs, but then they become like chains or shackles that, uh, yep. you know, will hold you back oftentimes. But when you're curious, but when you're always curious and you're asking questions and you're constantly learning, I think you have a, a great opportunity to evolve as a human being. So not just a trait for sales, but for, for life in general. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that curiosity will force you naturally out of your comfort zone. The nature of being curious and asking the question is, is going to force you into some course of action. And you may decide quickly that that direction is not where you're meant to head. But at least now you know, you've scratched that itch. But the constants of that, those actions will eventually lead, I think, a lot of people on a really, really powerful path, not just you know, on a micro scale within their careers or, or, you know, helping a client or whatever the case is, but, you know, broad, more broadly in life and, and trying to understand their, uh, the path they're meant to be on and, and the passions that they're meant to, uh, create and, and uphold. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Now you also, uh, I've seen, uh, something that you wrote about the, the top 10 traits of successful mm. sales reps. 
you ranked them in order. In fact, I thought that was a pretty hard list to put into order. Uh, you had you certainly had curiosity and you had grit on there. Your your top two were empathetic and coachable. Why don't you tell us tell us a little bit about those traits and how they lead to success in sales? Yeah, I, I think um, honestly, these are the things the, the, those traits in that order. I, I kind of feel like had helped me a lot. I happen to be better at, at some than I am in others, but I think the reason I listed them the way I did is it was what I saw the traits that I saw in the most successful salespeople around me, both at my current organization and, and my uh, peers in different organizations. Uh, first and foremost, they genuinely care about the customer and their problems. They really do. And they're more than willing to go the extra mile to kind of understand that customer and try to kind of live a day in their shoes, if it were, to really understand the problem that they need to help solve for, for that client. And... I also think from a, from a coachable perspective that that same person is also will, willing to be a little bit more introspective and, and they're willing to admit when they don't know what they're doing enough to take feedback and direction necessary to master the skills required to, to go back and help that customer. So I almost mm-hmm. think the two are, are related in a way. Um, and, then, and then finally, um, like I mentioned before, they're, they're curious enough to ask questions about their product to their mentors, to their leaders, and to the customer for purposes of, of diagnostics. And all of these things, I, I, to me, are, are kind of interwoven. And I see time and time again, a rep that gets those three things down, they're typically already several steps ahead uh, of the rest of the pack. And then the rest is all just skill building. But those are harder skills, I think, to build. And they're more of a, a mentality than anything else. Yeah, I like what you just said about these are a mentality. I do think that these traits start with a decision. I think, yes. for example, when you talked about being willing to admit when someone needs help, I think everyone should ponder in their life, right? You know, do I want to fight through my challenges in life on my own, per- through my own personal experience? Do I want to struggle and beat my head into a wall? Or do I want to be able to open myself up to have humility and open myself up to all the feedback that I can get from others and then ponder that feedback and decide, you know, which pieces of feedback do I feel like are helpful, which are not? What do I want to implement? What do I want to toss out? But just starting with that decision that you're going to be an open person to receive input from other people and learning when you receive that input to be appreciative and grateful, not to be critical back when somebody gives you a piece of criticism, but instead to take it in and say, hey, thanks for that, that leaves those doors open for consistent, great dialogue with other people in your life that can help you to grow and advance more quickly. Yeah, I agree. And I think that is ultimately, as you mentioned, a decision you make to be open and to admit admit fault or admit defeat. And there's a a book called uh, Extreme Ownership by a couple of neighbor C's, Jocko and and Leaf, and it's really a leadership book. Uh, it's a fantastic one at that. But really, the lesson learned there is you could free up so much mental space to grow and learn by just owning the things that you either control or should control, or, or the things that are at your fault. Uh, just owning it, just moving beyond it. Hey, that's that's on me. But I, let me learn. Let me open up and understand where I could solve and look for solutions to improve. And I think that decision to think in that way. It is paramount to somebody developing in their career and and, and uh, their maturity. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting that you're 
your choice of uh, sales versus uh, getting into medicine, that if uh, a flashpoint for that was considering the $250,000 incursion of debt, right? <laughs> um, and instead, instead, you quickly received a five-digit paycheck on the, you know, the other side of the coin. Uh, and I'm sure I've had many more since then. And uh, it's, uh, there's a big difference between a bunch of five-digit paychecks and a, a statement that shows you know six digits of debt or more. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> oh yeah. And and I mean and for me it was about I think it comes down to the curiosity bit and, and taking actions in different directions and and trying to understand passions and you know at the end of the day I think anybody can be passionate about what they're really good at and I think you find a passion in the things that you you like and I love the science of medicine and I love the the STEM and, and, and all the research and biology. And I really liked that. I knew I didn't like the industry. And uh, to put it on top of that, then you've got this huge debt bubble that you've got to break. And uh, then the moment I, I looked the other direction, I'm like, okay, well, hey, if I'm not going to be a doctor, I better find a pretty viable solution elsewhere. And I knew from my experience at Cutco that, you know what, I could make my own luck. I don't have to just take any any job that will pay me anything. I could go and make my own income if I choose this route and I just double down. and. Man, that, that, I, I'll be honest, it panned out in a really positive way. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really great to hear. You've got this background in science. I know you're interested in data analytics as well. Does that stuff inform some of your current business strategies? <laughs> uh, yes. In, in a weird roundabout way, um, I think my unorthodox background has kind of helped me approach the business world from a different perspective, which is always super valuable. And I think a story I've, I've written about this in the past, but the importance of preparation, especially in sales and it, as it's a performance and things like that, this background goes all the way back to that. For exams and things like that, I would, I would prepare in a different capacity uh, than I think most people did. For the MCAT, for example, uh, I quite literally took a time exam. I think I took about 10 to 15 timed MCAT exams, but I went beyond that. I actually set up a room with similar fluorescent lighting that I knew the testing facility would have. I opened up a computer with similar parameters. I was blocked in. I would start the exact same time the test starts. I would walk the same distance from uh, that I knew my hotel would be from the testing facility in the morning, all to just mentally prepare myself to be in this mindset. And I think that alone and, and things to, you know, understanding these techniques has allowed me to be really, really prepared in, in my sales career as well and in my business career from like a, a habits perspective. And then on top of that, I worked in a biomechanics lab uh, it, before making the transition to my current working field while I was applying to, to med schools and being able to come from a thought process that's hypothesis based. And the ability and, and kind of desire to test different techniques, be hyper data driven with my decisions, that has really allowed me to effectively analyze troughs of data to, and identify trends within our business, customers' businesses to, in order to effectively implement processes, training, programs, accelerate growth in certain areas, so on and so forth. I genuinely believe that I wouldn't have been able to think in those ways if it weren't for that background. And I know that was a, a longer answer, but I think it was invaluable. I think that's great what you just shared right there, Parker. There's so many times in life where people just sort of trust their instinct or their own personal experience in making decisions. And there's some good 
parts to that. And there's some truth to, you know, trusting your instincts. But when you can have clear data, when you can really uh, get to what the truth of the matter is, it helps a lot with decision making. We've seen this this whole issue come to the forefront here in the last one year with the with the pandemic, right? It's like at the start of the pandemic, most of our decisions were colored by whatever we believed, right? <laughs> I was one of those people who thought, oh, you know what? We've been through this like five times before. It never has amounted to anything. Like, yep. I'm also very optimistic and thought, you know, whatever, even if this is serious, like we'll get over it within like, you know, a month or two. And so right. my decisions and my actions were all colored by that belief early on. And it took an overwhelming amount of data shoved in my face to, to, to get me to, to believe otherwise. But a lot of people ignore that data. They ignore, you know, the actual reality. And I think that happens in our business too. Like we have a lot of young entrepreneurs yeah. that are confident and ambitious and like think they know what they're doing all the time. And they, they do things because it feels like it's the right thing to do. Or, you know, my experience tells me this is the right thing to do. But we have an opportunity, even our business, to gather a lot of data, a very specific data about our recruiting processes or our training or our sales reps on appointments or whatever that help inform what actually is working and what we actually should be doing. So 100%. I feel like this side of things is a key element of being being good in sales or in anything is a, you know having having an openness to that side of gathering data. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you could even for an individual sales rep, you know, you, you don't have to think about leveraging data from this big business shifting perspective. You know, I applied it to myself individually when I was a rep. I, I looked at, hey, what's my quota? What's my target number? And then I looked at the data. I looked at, okay, what, what are my average meetings per week? What's my average conversion on those? How much do I typically convert uh, from, a, uh, from a dollar value on those meetings or from those opportunities or whatever the case is? And I could use that to work all the way backwards to break down my goals financially or otherwise into repeatable daily habits that are data-driven that I know if repeated over the, you know, the quarter are going to drive those goals based on the data and probably even better because I would have improved in the process as well. So we're on the same page. I think it's invaluable. Yeah. And you've read Undoing Project and Thinking Fast and Slow? I have. I have uh, both. <laughs> Fantastic. Thinking fast and slow is uh, a particular favorite of mine. It's so fascinating. Yeah. And it is a tome also to yeah. get through. Like that book is uh, takes takes a long, long, long time to get through. You got to go through it very slowly and deliberately, <laughs> I feel like, to to get everything. Yeah. So. Yeah. Have to have to double back a couple times, which I did. I, I, I typically read on a pretty fast pace, but that one uh, I, I took a little bit of time. Yeah. I think that this approach to preparation, detail orientation, some of the things that you talked about, uh, leads me to want to ask you about habits and routines. Do you have daily habits and routines that you follow that have helped you be successful? Yeah, 100%. And I feel you sense the theme there in a lot of my responses. I'm constantly evolving this to fit my situation and goals. But this is a non-negotiable for me. And it has become one over the last few years. And in fact, one of the most valuable tools uh, that I've added to my arsenal and that's my morning routine. And it actually started after reading uh, Miracle Morning by, uh, I believe, another cut column, Hal Elrod, if you know. So yes. uh, he coined, yeah, if, if, I think everybody uh, listening to this podcast or most should, should know who Hal Elrod is. If you don't, uh, uh, please go look him up. But he, co he coined the term uh, savers, which is silence, affirmations, vision, exercise, reading, scribing. And um, 
I, I work against that to some level. Uh, every morning, I, I know that if I win my morning mentally, I've already started uh, winning my day. I'm already ahead of the game. And no matter what happens in the chaos and the throws of the day ahead, I'm on my page from the start. And so I uh, typically I'll, you know, I'll wake up at, at 545, 6. I'm not one of those like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. people. Like, I can't do it. Uh, but 545, 6 serves plenty fine for my purposes. Uh, I immediately get moving, break a sweat for 20 minutes. Uh, anything that I can do to, to kind of get active. Uh, then I do a little bit of mobility and stretching, meditation, uh, affirmations, super important. Starting with some gratitude, getting your mindset in a positive place, doing some affirmations and vision setting. Uh, reminding yourself on where the long term is three, five years ahead and what you're going to do that day, the three to five things that are really, really important for you to do that day to make those goals a reality. And then I always read. I have to read in the morning. Uh, it gets me thinking in the right way. Uh, and I, I love to read. And then from there, I'll go ahead and I'll review my plan for the day, which I typically lined up the night before, and I'll get moving. But I think the, the greatest thing in there and, and something I, I candidly didn't start doing until probably six months ago is I don't check email and ideally my phone for at least the first hour after I wake up. Mm. And the reason being, I, I noticed that if I start my day and immediately open up my email, I'm allowing an external force to grab a hold of my mental state before I can. And that is unacceptable to me. And so if I can avoid that, then at least I control my mental output for that day and then I can deal with whatever problems are waiting in my inbox. That was so profound what you just said right there that by if you were to get your day started with email or your phone, you're allowing an external force to affect you Correct. versus taking control of how you're starting your day right? by leveraging some of those other concepts, some of the things that you learned from Hal, etc. That was really, really powerful for anybody to think about. Um, I don't even think that applies only to the morning, but you know, throughout your day, how often are you allowing an external force to affect you, right? If you're taking a mental break in the middle of your day, taking a mental break that's something productive like a walk or some type of meditation or something like that versus a mental break where you're opening up your Instagram and you're doing the scroll right? And whatever's there is what's yep. going to impact you. And you might see something that impacts you negatively. That's a really powerful insight for people to ponder. I like that. Yeah, 100%. And it was um, very transformative for me when I made that realization that, any, to your point, anything could disrupt your day. It could be bad news. It could be something going on in, in the world, which we you know, which we know after last year could be could be quite literally anything at this point. And just allowing that to take control. And I, and I actually like what you said about, you know, being conscious of that throughout the day as well. And it's helpful to I block 30 minutes on my calendar, typically for lunch, uh, every day, but I'll use that to exercise or meditate or just reset and flush my brain from things that may have come in and, and are swirling around and, and try to kind of recenter because to your point, anything could disrupt that flow. And uh, it's important that you find that center again really quickly. And, and there's, I think, I can't remember uh, exactly, but I think it's something to the order of uh, if you had $86,000 in your bank account and you know somebody stole 10, would you throw out the other $86,000? And the answer is no, logically. But we often do the same thing. There's 86,400 seconds in a day. 
And we often will throw out the rest of our day because of one thing that happened for 10 seconds. Somebody cuts us off in traffic, we get a bad email, whatever the case is. Why do we let that control the rest of our day? And I think it comes from a, a similar place. Yeah, exactly. That's powerful. For anybody listening, episode number 156 of the podcast was Hal Elrod talking about the Miracle Morning specifically. And I'll also add that Hal Elrod was the very first interview I ever recorded for this podcast. I I released it as episode four, but it was the very first one I ever recorded. And in that one, he talks about the Miracle Equation, which is his latest book that sort of comes after the Miracle Morning. So Hal is an amazing ambassador of the Cutco Vector business and uh, has become uber successful with the Miracle Morning and all of its offshoots. So the Miracle Morning movie just came out, uh, Parker, on uh, December 12th. Did it? Yeah. I heard about that. I heard they were, were uh, filming that, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't understand it or didn't realize it released. That's amazing. Yeah, you got to check that out. Where did they release it? Yeah, I just bought a ticket so that I had access to the live yeah. premiere, basically, where Hal like, was speaking in the morning and then the movie played and then Hal came back on and was speaking afterwards. So, cool. but, uh, but I'm sure uh, you can find it by looking at Google Miracle Quick Morning Google. movie and it'll, I'm sure you can figure out how to have it pop up. Uh, I want to ask you about another insight that I've seen you share, yeah. which I think is really important for young people to hear because you're 30 years old. I assume that you're highly successful, you know, from a financial point of view at this point. And as somebody's income grows, I think it's important for their spending to grow more slowly. And you talked about in something you wrote, the opportunity cost of lifestyle creep. Could you uh, unpack that briefly? Yeah, man, 100%. I'm really happy you brought this up. I'm a huge personal finance and investment geek. And it's one of my passions that I think about often on the side. And if I get super excited here, I apologize. Uh, No one ever wants to talk about this stuff, but uh, something I really believe in. And, And, you know, I agree with you that it's very important especially for, for younger folks and, and people earlier in their career. I think for me, I was very fortunate. I was taught to some degree the value of, of time and money early on. Um, probably not as in-depth as, as what's possible, but at least I had some awareness of it. But most young people aren't really taught from a financial perspective, at least, how valuable their time really is and the impact on... Uh, things like compound interest and, and things like that. They hear about it anecdotally, but they're, they're never really taught this uh, practically. And I believe this is changing a lot. But one of the, the biggest things that I see in it, you know, I lived in Los Angeles, which is uh, probably the uh, epicenter of keeping up with the Joneses and, and uh, it, you know, no shade on any of my uh, Angelinos or anything like that. But uh, it's very much an environment where you're constantly trying to keep up with the pressure and show off. And I think for a long time, that's been the mentality is you get a raise, you get a bonus, you know, great, you could go buy that nice new car or upgrade your apartment or whatever the case is. And, and this is really prevalent in sales because you'll have uh, these individuals who work in purely commission, or maybe they have a base salary and they have a bonus on top of it. Suddenly they get this, you know, these big chunks of money. It's big windfall, similar to, to myself when I saw that check for the first time. I mean, if I hadn't had the wherewithal to know what to do with that money, I would have spent it. I would have bought a car. I would have you know, bought a depreciating asset or something that would have hurt me long term. But with lifestyle creep, if you can understand that, if you could find an area where you are very comfortable living, 
You're not overreaching where you are happy. You have everything you need. You're not overextending. You're not buying things that you really don't need. You're not keeping up with the Joneses. If you could find an area where you are happy, just stay there. And the benefit of that is if you could become comfortable with that, not budge, every time you get a promotion, every time you get a raise, every time you get a a larger bonus check than you anticipated, if you invest that money and have it working for you, the cost is enormous. And I think I did a write-up where... Uh, you know, assuming like a, I believe a fifty thousand dollars salary and a three percent raise every year, and if you were to say do the smart thing and invest ten percent of your money every year without fault, you would end up with a after thirty years with a pretty modest uh, about a million bucks in retirement if you were to kind of follow that ten percent rule. However, uh, on the ex- other end of the extreme, if you were to instead stay at that single cost of living and invest the difference of what you are given from a raise every year, year over year, which would be more than that 10% over time, you'd end up with $3 million. Mm-hmm. So that value of compound interest is huge. And, and it's important that I think young people understand that. They understand that they don't need to buy that, that nice new car, that fancy watch, or whatever the case is right away. And if they get that money working for them earlier, they'll have many more opportunities in the future. So much more, and I think that that delayed gratification is big. And and listen, I you know I've bought the watch, I've I've had some of the cool toys. I'm a huge car guy, as I mentioned. I think you could still have fun and do this. You don't have to, uh, you know, go to the extreme of the fire group and live in a, a shed until you're 40 or whatever. But I think just knowing the power of that compounding interest and and the power and the value of that time is something that I wish were uh, taught in schools more often. Yeah, you just said something about it being taught in schools. I was just thinking, man, this is exactly what people need to hear in school. My financial advisor shares a concept he calls the gap. And the gap is the Mm. difference between your earning and your spending. And that that gap should get wider and wider and wider as you go along, right? You can't have a parallel line up of your spending as your earnings goes up. There has to be a wider and wider and wider gap and if you're doing that, then you are balancing some gratification now, some of the nice things, yep. some of rewarding yourself yep. with that idea of being able to be much more secure at an earlier stage in your later life and have more of the rewards in the long term of life uh, that you can get. So I think that's a great concept yep. that people uh, should hear. I appreciate hearing that from a young, very successful uh, you know, leader like you. Uh, yeah, and I love the uh, the gap. I think that's a great analogy. I'll, I'll have to steal that from you if you don't mind. Yeah, take it, take it, um, Parker. Why do you feel like sales is such a great career? Oh man, several reasons. I think I could go on for a while. I'll keep it short. But I mean, I could hit you with all the stats about. Yeah, you know, I think it's some on the order of twenty five percent of of CEOs or or some order of magnitude came from a sales marketing background, and many entrepreneurs come from a similar background. But I think fundamentally. Sales affords you flexibility, uh, both financially and from the perspective of a career path. Uh, it gives you the flexibility to kind of control your destiny like no other career. I think it's also incredibly rewarding. The opportunity to solve problems for a living effectively can be incredibly rewarding and stimulating. And uh, I think most importantly, it's so essential to gain experience in because it builds critical soft skills, such as the ability to present, speak with confidence formulate ideas or thought around value, so on and so forth. And I think that uh, you know, no matter where you are in life and your career, 
you could always benefit. And it, it brings me to a book, To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink, which explores the concept that you know, everybody to some degree is selling something. You're convincing your friends over a certain restaurant. Yeah, you're putting on a pitch a little bit there. So no matter where you are, those skills are incredibly invaluable. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that the control over your destiny is one of the reasons why I've stayed in sales for so long. And definitely that that building of soft skills is one of the side benefits that has come along with, you know, putting myself in the position of, of uh, having to learn how to influence, learn how to lead, learn how to sell for all these years. And it, it's a, a very valuable thing that a lot of the young people that we work in Cutco get to have. And To Sell as Human is one of my all-time favorite books, by the way. So good. Really? It's an amazing book. Amazing yeah. book. Couldn't recommend so, it enough. So good. Parker, this has been awesome. I just want to leave with one more question for you because you know the theme of our podcast is changing lives. And as you look into your own future, uh, I'm interested to hear how you would aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence. Ooh, big task. But for me, for now, I'm really just hoping that as I go along, I, I want to be able to share what I've learned and provide mentorship to people who maybe find it inspiring or, or see a similar career path in themselves, both in sales and business, but you know, specifically personal growth and finance and mental health. And if I could just help a few people along the way in the short term, it's honestly more than I ever could have asked, asked for for now. And then long term, if some of the financial stuff that I'm working on goes the way I planned, I mean, the big goal is to is to be able to have some sort of foundation and be able to give back in a hugely impactful way, a la Bill Gates or whatever the case is. Um, that's the loftier goal and the vision down the line. But for now, uh, I mean, if I could even help one person sort their finances or, or get that promotion, that's more than I could have ever asked for. Fantastic. Well, you're well on your way, Parker. You're a VP at a multi-billion dollar corporation. That's pretty exciting. You also are frequently giving back to others in terms of your knowledge. I think you're a great follow on LinkedIn. I would really recommend anybody listening that you uh, connect with Parker on LinkedIn. And I notice you posting there pretty much every day, something that's of value. And I appreciate that. It's just great to see the success you're having and the example you're setting for so many other people. I really appreciate having you as a guest on the podcast, Parker. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Dan, thanks for having me. And uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. I think it's uh, phenomenal. So appreciate it. Awesome, man. That was Parker Ashley, everyone. Wow. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. Cool to hear how, you know, in Parker's early life, his aspiration was to be a doctor and that uh, this transformed into a desire to get into sales. I think being a doctor, being in any medical profession is a very gallant and amazing career and vocation and calling. If that's uh, where you are led to, I think that's great. But as Parker referenced, getting into sales offered a lot of great things as well. The control over your destiny that he described, the opportunity to solve problems for a living, and all the skills that come along with dealing with people on a regular basis, having to learn how to influence. I think that that helps people be better in their relationships, helps people be better as a parent. There's so many things people gain by becoming experts in sales. Parker shared the concept of getting paid for value versus getting paid for time. This is a critical insight for anyone to be able to take in and consider, right? And if you think you get paid for time, well, that's not exactly true. There's sometimes people measure your value 
by time. But if you stopped bringing value during your hours, you would stop getting paid. They'd fire you. So it's so important to be considering what value are you bringing to the marketplace because of your skills, because of your insights. What is it that's unique about you that helps you become successful? Your personal monopoly is a term that I've heard described a couple times on this podcast now. What is your personal monopoly that enables you to bring value to the marketplace? I love uh, how Parker shared about curiosity being a key skill that he developed, asking questions, genuine interest in other people, developing an understanding of others, humility, all of what goes into that. And of course, grit, right? Having the persistence to work through challenges, to work through times where you don't achieve what you want, right? There's a magic word called until, Jim Rohn says, right? That you work until you've achieved what you want. That's how we learned how to walk as children, right? And it's how many things in life are learned and adapted. Parker talked about daily habits and routines. I like the idea of the miracle morning, of course. But I would encourage each of you to think about this right now. Like, what are the habits in your life that are serving you? And make a list and write those down. And what are the habits in your life that are not serving you, that are holding you back? And decide that you're going to leave in the past today the habits that are not serving you. What are you going to leave in the past today? And what are you going to carry with you into your future to help you become more and more successful and have more and more of what you want. It's clear that Parker is a young man that is applying some solid habits and principles for success. He's advanced very quickly to an elite position at a very young age, and I'm sure that more and greater success lies ahead for him and for many others who adopt a lot of these same principles. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. I want to thank Silver Cup Cutco alum Colton Horn and his team at Brain Fuel for sponsoring this episode. Brain Fuel is a new cerebral beverage that's scientifically derived from coffees, teas, collagens, and antioxidants. It's not an energy drink. But instead, it's a great-tasting lifestyle beverage for top performers like the listeners of this podcast. It takes a molecule that we've known for centuries, caffeine, and revolutionizes the way our brain interacts with it. I can tell you from personal experience that I felt the effects of this product right from the very first time I tried it, and it's astounding. Brain Fuel prolongs mental focus, sharpens alertness and decision-making, and protects your brain from burnout. Brain Fuel is spelled uniquely because it is unique. It's B-R-E-I-N-F-U-E-L. Go to brainfuel.com to check it out. And if you use the code CLSK when you check out, you'll get 35% off your first order. You can also find this and other offers by visiting changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. 
access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 